everybody. Welcome back to Tent Talks. This is Stacy. I am back for a part two about the witch wound, talking about witches because it's the season of witches. If you haven't listened to my previous episode on this topic, it's kind of important. But I'm going to give you a quick recap just so that we remember what's happening here. What we're talking about is this very tricky topic that this community in modern day, I see the witch wound present. I see it in our women. I've been studying this topic for a while. I just came upon some really rad information presented by Perdita Finn. She's doing an Instagram series on her page. She is a scholar. She's an author. And she's talking about the origins of the witch wound from a book Malleus Maleficarium printed in the 15th century. There were two books with the invention of the printing press that were printed out like the top two books, like the New York Times bestsellers. (laughs) And it was the Bible and this book and the Malleus Maleficarium. That book was how to identify a witch. And we all know what the Bible is, the Christian narrative. So where are we going with all of this? Well, we discovered the definition of a witch. And it's actually just an old woman. Because she's using up resources. She's barren. And we just don't know what to do with her. So we must silence her. We must completely make her submissive. And actually, It might even be better if we just rounded a bunch of them up and killed them because they're kind of taking the resources away from everybody else. That's where we left off. And we parallel a woman's experience with the land and with animals because we've done the same thing. We've said, I'm going to break you down and domesticate you and control you. And you're going to provide me with what I need. And It's my God-given right to do whatever I want with you. And that's kind of the colonizer way, really. And when we get to uncivilized people, we realize that they share a reciprocity with the land. Often they had deities. You know, they may have had a water god or a wind god. They may have worshipped the harvest season, the crops, they may have made offerings. What we do know is that their worship was in the land. And there was a reciprocity, there was a joy, there was a relationship, there was a recognition and a reverence to it. And What the colonizer brain did is it said, I'm going to domesticate you, bitch, and you're going to do what I want when I want at any cost, because you need to provide me with X, Y, and Z. And alongside of colonization, because remember, when we stopped being hunter-gatherers, we stayed in relatively the same locations. We built families the demands increased. We needed more supplies. We needed more domesticated animals. We needed resources. And so war and outbreak and and colonization became a really 
big, big, big motivator for people because it was life and death. And it was gathering resources. We were no longer having reciprocity with the earth and moving with seasons and making offerings. We were trying to submit. And that's a really different energy. That's a really different energy. Alongside of colonization is capitalism. And capitalism is gathering resources, taxing, creating an economy, creating a workforce, creating this exchange that we're still hustling for every day. Because if you exist, if you take up space, if you exist, that's not enough. You need to somehow contribute to the economy. You need to show up, you need to do your part. Because we're no longer community-based where we take care of people and we focus on seasons of life and reciprocity and giving. But it's like, no, if you're here and taking up space, you're taking up resources and you better pay for it because that's how the world works. And where in the ever-loving did we get all of these ideas? One might wonder, well, what are the top two books circulating? We've got the Bible and we've got this other book about how to recognize a witch, which was aka how to kill women if you don't see them as beneficial to your society anymore. So that's kind of a a lot to swallow, really. But in order to get people on board with Christianity, Odin had to become Jesus, Isis had to become Mother Mary, we had to you know, revamp things. We had to shift perspectives. And over time, this was really easy. And those people, those gods, those goddesses didn't really exist anymore. The dark goddess became St. Catherine. There's so, you know, there are so many overlaps there of how people have kind of changed the narrative. And when you study people who've written about folklore or myth from other civilizations and anthropology and studied their artwork and things that have passed down, you realize what Christianity is. It's colonizing and it's capitalism. And it's doing that because to exist means that you have to make money for this entity or this this power. And the archetypes that are introduced in Christianity for women are what? The whore, the sinner, or the virgin. We don't really get any options. There's no, there's no dynamic dialogue. And a lot of women's group, a lot of these modern day women's circles focus on the archetype of the maiden, the mother, the crone. And we all know that to thrive in society, we need to act and look like the maiden, the young, the innocent, the beautiful, the plump lips, the perky breasts, because we need to appear to be more fertile, literally for our salvation so that we don't die at the hands of our community and be seen as useless. And Here's the thing. 
I think this is outrageous. And I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't spent my whole life in a woman's body, if I hadn't seen the way that my grandmother is treated, if I, if I hadn't seen the way that my mother's treated, if I hadn't seen how we discard and dismiss women. The misogyny is real and it is thick and it is laced in this community. Cataclysmic misogyny is what Perdita Finn coined it, cataclysmic misogyny. To understand the horror, the cognitive dissonance of what's going on, it's no wonder that women have this witch wound. It's no wonder that as soon as a woman starts caring about natural remedies or gardening or teaching young children or passing down information or going to school and studying academia, helping women through transitions like childbirth. It's no wonder she gets called a witch. And that that's like an attachment. That's not a witch. The true definition of a witch is, is becoming old and not being useful to society. Like that's, that's the real truth that we uncover. That's the big, dirty secret here. And it's no wonder that a lot of this information from colony to colony has been disorganized. It's been hard to find. We've been fighting about what it means to actually have traits of a witch to actually identify. I mean, I can't tell you how many like witchy communities I'm part of. And they tell you things like, well, that's not actually what witch means. And I'm tired of this witch label. And that's not a witch. And this is not a witch. And I just want to take a deep breath. Like, it's disorganized for a reason. The only thing that we can really identify of what makes a woman a witch. Because remember, teaching children, caring about the earth, knowing about herbs, being a healer, all of these things, this was just part of regular everyday community hundreds of years ago. So really the only thing that we can identify as a common denominator is age. And sitting with that is pretty painful as we live in this society where everything is anti-aging. Everything is so centered on being youthful. And in my own relationship with the witch wound, I realized that it's not a witch wound. It's, it's a woman wound. It's a mother wound. It's a grandmother wound. It's how are we caring and treating older women? Do they have a voice in our society? Do they get to speak? In an attempt to create reparations with my mom and to honor her and to see her in her glory, I threw her a crone party in which we crowned the crone. And I did it with my sister's kids, you know, the grandkids. So my mom got to be in this highlighted position as the matriarch of the family. And she had a beautiful crown on and we covered her in rose petals and gave her a seat in which she could share wisdom. And you know what kind of wisdom she shared? She shared indoctrination. She shared stuff about Christianity. She has a whole 
life a whole body of wisdom. And the thing that she chooses to share with people is her indoctrination. And she does that because she doesn't have a voice. And I, I really mourned that. And I talked to a lot of friends about looking for wise elders, wise crones in our community. And where are they? And why can't we hear them? Why aren't their voices being loud and elevated? Well, they had to give up their voice. That was a strategy for survival. They have to regurgitate what they've been taught at church because that's survival. If let's say, if my dad dies and if my mom is left alone, if she doesn't have her church, she doesn't have anything. She's alone in her community. And that's the truth. And so what does she have to do? She has to give up her voice, her story, her own wisdom in her body to be a part of this. Because there's no room for women to have their own wisdom to share. Because we know we've been being silenced out of it since the 15th century with the printing press and the Bible and the how to identify a witch book. Those two have been paralleled this whole time. How to silence women, how to domesticate women, how to domesticate animals and the land, all in service of this Christian narrative. It could have gone a lot of different ways, but it's still perpetuating. And how is it perpetuating today other than women not having their voices? It's women being cruel to each other. It's women pitting themselves against each other for survival. It's women trying to be young and hot and sexy for survival. It looks a lot like women not trying to be too smart, have too loud of voices, not know too many things, just kind of find a flow, studying patterns in society and knowing who are the leaders, who's attached to the most money, whose uh, husbands have the most power in the church. And those are the powerful women. I wish that it weren't so. I wish that our local politics and our nationwide politics weren't ruling out women and putting real governmental laws on women's bodies, trying to control fertility. This is as old as time. This isn't new. But I think what's happening in different communities is that women who have never before spoken about the witch wound are talking about it because we're seeing how women's bodies are being controlled and there are women voting in favor of that. They're so brainwashed. They're so removed from their bodies that they think that medical procedures that save lives, they've been trained that it's about killing a life, you know, this abortion ban. It's like, oh, well, yeah, we need to save these, these unborn kids. They don't see it as the truth of what it is. It's your body being controlled. 
And I love this conversation on TikTok about women talking about getting IUDs and their experience of like modern birth control experiences of going to the doctor and how they're not even numbed. Their cervix is not even numbed. Their cervix is sliced open. The IUD is inserted and then they go home and they're maybe given a painkiller. Maybe not, usually not. And it's this idea that women don't have feelings. You remember how in the previous episode when we were learning in the Renaissance and when we were learning about animals and experimenting procedures, the first thing they would do is cut off their vocal cords so they wouldn't have to hear the suffering. We've done that with women. We've done that with women. You're not hurting. Your periods don't hurt. Your body doesn't hurt. You don't need pain medication. You don't need careful care. Do you know like how much of the woman's body was not even investigated until like recent years? We didn't know the full anatomy of the clitoris until the 1990s because it wasn't need to know information. That's women's pleasure. That's women's power. There was no necessity to learn about women because it was just like, meh. When we think about misogyny, when we think about sexism, this goes back hundreds of years. It's in our DNA. We're so connected to it that we don't even recognize it. And when we hear somebody give these parallels at first, and I know this because I've been studying this for over a decade, I've been reading books regularly, and I'm hearing the same stories, and I'm barely now getting it because I gaslight myself, because I tell myself, no, that can't be true. How could that be true? Because it's actually horrifying that the worst thing I can do as a woman is age. But then you know what I do? I think about why, because I won't be contributing financially because I'll need people to care for me. And that's the worst thing that I can think of. But you know what my number one struggle is today? How much money I'm making. I stress about that. That takes up probably like 70% of my brain on a day-to-day basis is how much money did I make? Where am I putting my money? How am I using my money? Am I saving any money? Am I creating a future for myself? How am I going to be taken care of? If I don't have kids, if I don't have this, if I don't have that, how am I going to age in this community? And if you don't think this conversation is real, find a woman without kids Find a woman without a religion. Find a woman with a voice. Find a woman with opinions. Find a woman with a business. Find a woman who's trying to show up in the world who is not completely domesticated. Find a woman who's not a rule follower and ask her what her fears are. You know what her fears are going to be? How am I going to survive? How am I going to be taken care of? It's horrifying. And if we admitted to it, what would happen? 
Would we change policy? Would we change the way we treat each other? Would we change the way we treated the earth? Would we acknowledge that we've done this on purpose? And every generation, there's a new flavor, there's a new voice, there's new languaging. They got a new HR team to make it seem softer. I remember when the LDS temple changed, there's like um, all this weird wording in the temple ordinances and rituals, and, and they changed the wording. And, and all the Mormons who were like, they've changed the words now, they've changed it. They made it softer so that it didn't sound like basically women were giving away all of their rights and voice to their husbands. It just sounds nicer now. It's still the same core principle. They just softened the tone. And that's how they've been able to get away with this. And it's not specific to one Christian denomination. That's the weird thing about Christianity is collectively, it's doing the same thing. And locally, there's some campaigns and some political action here in Utah. And one of the really big slogans and motivations is trying to break away from this radicalization. Because the thing about Utah is we have the highest ranking for like Trump fanaticism and radicalism here. And it's like, why? Why would that be? Because our brains are so fucking conditioned. It made sense to us. All of these misogynistic, sexist, heartless, cruel, violent theologies coming from Trump that, that were presented as political actions People in this community loved it. They were hot for it. And now that we saw like the horrors of what that can look like, right now our local political agenda is to try to help people recognize the radicalization. And I'm telling you, if you're a woman, it starts with the witch wound. And when you get to the witch wound, you realize it's the mother wound and the grandmother wound. And you have to take back your voice. You have to take back your body. And you have to take back this power that you've been giving away to Christianity, to men, to capitalism, to being a colonizer. And it's a lot of really heavy work. It's really daunting. And you're not alone. There are people who are doing this work and and they want to talk to you about it because it can feel isolating, because it can feel like real outlaw and rebellious energy. But it's like the real work of how we're going to make changes and reparations after hundreds and hundreds of years of really, really being shitty to women and to the earth and to the animals. And I think my fascination, my obsession even with witches and with the occult and with this topic is because of my deep love of people, particularly women, and feeling that 
that not being reflected back at me with the community. And I didn't know that when I started this journey, I just thought I liked, you know, an archetype of a witch. And I thought it had to do with being a healer. And then I thought it had to do with birth work. And then, you know, I followed this trail, I went down the tunnel. And this is what I found. And, and I hope it's, I hope it's beneficial to you. I hope it's gotten you thinking about different things. Some people that I've referenced, that I just want to reference again, so that you can do some of your own deep dives. Perdita Finn, who wrote The Way of the Rose. She's got a season of the witch writing going on on her Instagram. And she updates that with all of her findings from that book on how to identify a witch. We've got Sharon Blackie, who wrote If Women Rose Rooted. She parallels the domestication of the land with women's bodies. Janet Connor, who wrote several books. One of my favorites is called Soul Vows. But she has taken back the witch archetype since 2020 when she realized the political agenda and and how that deep misogyny was really a witch wound and somehow women have been wrapped up in the own narrative of their own destruction and um, are voting for that. Anyway, there's a lot of information and I hope that you'll think about it. I hope that even in listening to this episode about witches that you'll think about things a little bit differently. And if you've stuck around for these two episodes about the witch wound, I, I praise you and your ability to, to hear how my brain works in connecting all of these dots. Because I, I really do feel like it's been over at least a decade of information pulled together. And thank you for sticking it out with me. And as always, we'll see you again next week on Tent Talks. Take care. <laughs>